live from the capital of the Commonwealth. This is the Sports Huddle with Bob Black on 1061 ESPN. We're also streaming live at ESPNRichmond.com and on the iHeartRadio app. Call in and talk with Bob anytime at 327-0888. Now, here's Bob Black with the Sports Huddle on 1061 ESPN. We're going to get into some NFL talk in the second hour of the Sports Huddle today on the program but we finished up with matt in the first hour talking about the college game in virginia and virginia tech and the tough times that they are going through in james madison which right now yes we're gonna we're gonna wear this out is the flagship football program in the commonwealth of virginia but we were talking about the great games coming up this weekend and just as a refresher course you got florida state clemson in the ACC to kind of kick it off at noon. That Colorado-Oregon game is a 3.30 game on ABC. UCLA-Utah is a 3.30 game on Fox. Ole Miss and Alabama, not top 10 ranked Alabama, is a 3.30 game from Tuscaloosa on uh, CBS. And then in the evening, Oregon State-Washington State is at 7 on Fox. And we certainly talked about the Ohio State Notre Dame game, that's the 7.30 game on NBC. And Iowa at Penn State in the Big Ten is on CBS at 7.30. So I think that's seven games involving uh, both teams in the top 25. So more of that coming up in just a bit. Uh, there are, I think, seven NFL teams, seven or eight NFL teams that are 2-0 and through the first two weeks of the season. And one of them, yes, is the Washington Commanders for the first time in a dozen years by virtue of their victories over Arizona and at Denver. Let's talk a little bit more about that with Barry Sverluga from the Washington Post who joins us to start our 5 o'clock hour on the Sports Huddle. Barry, thanks for joining us. How are you? Great. Thanks for having me. So we've been playing a little game the last couple of days of these teams that are 2-0 and and just trying to figure out, and some of this is certainly an overreaction, it's only two games. Are they lucky or are they good? So let me throw that at you to start this. Are the Washington Commanders lucky right now to be 2-0, and or are they a good football team? I mean, I'll totally wimp out and say a little bit of, of both, but I, <laughs> okay. I do think I think it applies in particular with scheduling. Um, I mean, their next two games are against Buffalo and at Philadelphia, so if they had started the season with those two games and gone 2-0, and I would be telling you they're, they're good. Um, but they didn't. They, they beat and struggled to beat an Arizona team that most people think will be in a conversation for the top pick in the draft. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, did a great job in coming back um, against Denver and Russell Wilson, who people expect to be better with Sean Payton, but the reality is they were 5-12 and 12 last year and Wilson looked like a shell of himself. So um, that said, I-, I think if you're a Washington fan, um, you take the wins – when you can get them and you look at those two games and see a lot of encouraging things, um, starting with the quarterback, Sam Howell, who certainly hasn't been perfect, but has shown both in attitude and in physical ability. Um, I think a lot of the traits that you want to see in a guy who's only made three NFL starts. And then I'd also say that um, particularly with Chase Young returning this past week in, in Denver, um, that defensive line has been talked about around here for a long time. It, it could be coming into its peak form and just be hellacious for opponents to deal with um, all, across all, all four spots. So um, I'm not answering your question with an A or a B, but I think there's a mix of both in there, and that puts them in a pretty exciting position hosting Buffalo this weekend. 
we won't hold your feet to the fire on that, but because you gave a great essay answer, a plus for the for the essay answer there, Barry. Uh, thank you. But having said that, um, you know you were there, you saw it. I don't know what happened at the beginning, how it got to twenty one to three, and why Russell Wilson and uh, Sean Payton couldn't figure out how to keep doing that for the rest of the game. But what I saw from Washington after that point, and maybe this speaks more to Denver not being very good, but clearly Washington was the better, bigger, stronger, faster team that dominated the majority of that game when they made the comeback from 21 to 3. Yes, no, what do you think? Yeah, no, I I agree and you know, some of the 21 to 3 was a blown coverage on a, a you know, 60-yard bomb um to the rookie Mims and and mm-hmm. you know, that can be stuff that can be cleaned up, but I would say, you know, not only those um, kind of physical attributes that you just listed off, they were superior to Denver. But two things. They, one, you know, kind of had an attitude like, okay, we need a play to turn this around. They, they were not rattled. They were not reeling. I've seen this team for a long time fold in those situations. Um, and they got, when they got that play, which was Jamin Davis's strip of, of Russell Wilson and um, causing a turnover that led to a, a touchdown that helped them to get within – Seven at halftime, which was kind of staggering. Um, but I would also say that, you know, they showed an ability to make adjustments in from a coaching standpoint that I'm not 100% sure that they've done in the past. And I, I would point to Eric Bieniemy, the, the new offensive coordinator, really in his first time calling plays, um, you know, having been under the shadow of Andy Reid for so long. Um, he opened up some stuff. One, sticking to the run and getting stuff out of it with Brian Robinson, but also pretty impressively um, turning to a screen game that got big chunks of yardage from both Antonio Gates and Robinson um, in the second half. That was stuff that they hadn't shown in the first game and hadn't shown in the first half. So it felt like um, a Washington team that almost always seems to lose the chess match, match, won the chess match in this case. And that that's really encouraging going forward because if you feel like your guy is getting into a rhythm calling plays with his personnel and then mixing it up um what had been a disadvantage for washington for so long it might might actually be an advantage now you talked about the schedule and the games coming up buffalo this week and then at philadelphia the following week most importantly where do you think they need the commanders that is to elevate their game in order to compete and win the next two games so i think that um if the biggest question coming into the year was sam howell and i think it kind of had to be because you know you're talking about a fifth round pick who had started one game and thrown 19 nfl passes um i kind of feel like that's been put on the back burner in terms of a a question i'm not saying he's not going to have uh you know rocky games and make bad decisions he's absolutely going to do that that's part of this process but I think you, you kind of take him off the, like, what the heck are we going to get from here um, spot. And I, I think that means that the major concern I would have had in the offseason remains the major concern now, and that's the offensive line. And that's not only protecting how it's holding up in the run game because they need to be pretty balanced. Um, and I don't think they did enough to address it from a personnel standpoint, from spending standpoint, from a draft standpoint in the off season. So they're, they're fairly thin and they're not super talented, which is um, not the best combination. 
that that would be it would almost be my concerns like one, two, and three going into these next two games, and and really the the rest of the season. Mm-hmm. All right, and part of this, as you pointed out, obviously is the schedule, the opponents they played to start. But look, those are the opponents. They put them on the schedule. They beat who was on the schedule. So that said. What do you think this new ownership group is thinking and talking about amongst itself? They did some things to try and enhance some things at FedEx. They had a sellout in the first game. They've announced a sellout for this one. You know, what do you think um, the lunchtime conversation with Josh Harris and Mitchell Rails and Magic Johnson is all about right now? So I don't think there are any bounds to it, really. I mean, I, I don't think it's probably about the football side of things as much in this early going, because I don't think, you know, barring a disaster, and they're, they're clearly not off to a disastrous start, I don't think they're going to make major changes in the football operation until they have an, a chance to see how it works and what the results are. So that would be TBD. I, I would think if, if they're really sitting down to lunch and are saying, you know, what what should we be focusing on, I, I just imagine that to be a super wide-ranging, all-over-the-place conversation that would be you know, down to very minute details about fan experience, about feedback they got from the first game. I mean, you know, they already did stuff like worked with the Maryland um, transit authorities to set up new traffic patterns to get to FedEx. That is something that, you know, no one sitting at home notices, but is very, very important to the people that they want to draw to the games. Um, I would, I just think a conversation like that would have no bounds. Food, um, services, ceremonies. Uh, you know, what's the pregame like? All, all of that stuff should be on the table. And I, and I imagine is because, to my mind, their, their rollout has been very positive and, and, and hit all the right notes. Hey, um, do you think there is a chance now moving forward, and it seems like we're reading some things, you guys are covering some things, that the RFK site could come into play here for the new stadium, that well, it is more I mean, of a possibility than like, it's ever been? It's bureaucracy 101. Like, you, yeah. you they, they, the technical part of that is there is something before Congress that could get that federally owned land back into the hands of the District of Columbia. Um, we don't even know if that's going to be voted on by the end of this Congress. And then if it's not voted on by the end of this congressional year, um, it could get punted deep into the future. So there's it's incredibly complicated and boring, but that step has to happen before we can even discuss whether um, the people who live there uh, or the D.C. Council, for that matter, would want the stadium on that site. We know the mayor uh, of Washington, D.C., Muriel Bowser, is very, very big on bringing the team back, but there's a bunch of uh, loopholes and actual you know, legislation that has to happen before they're even in position to consider it. Yeah, but at least there's some conversation about it once again with this new ownership group for sure. Hey, let me let me finish with you on a very lighthearted note for those in our audience that don't necessarily follow you on Twitter, and they should at Barry Sverluga. I chuckled about your tweet about your experience coming back home on the flight and the flight attendant and the passengers on the plane. Barry, if you could relate that to our folks. Yeah, so we I had a direct from Denver to um, Washington National and you know, early morning flight, and uh, the flight attendant, you know, kind of concluded her remarks by saying, and congratulations to the Washington Commanders, and the the flight kind of erupted. There were a bunch of people in burgundy and gold, and then people started swapping stories about where, where were you at the game. It was just, I've been on a lot of those flights um, with probably not as many burgundy and gold 
uh, clad fans, and it, it just seemed to be a, a different mood, a different kind of levity around the entire operation mm-hmm. right now. As as you said, maybe back to the future of 1991 or so for the Washington Commanders. That's probably a small good sign also, what you experienced out there. Uh, Barry, thank you so much. Appreciate primarily the football uh, perspective that you had on the Commanders' start to the season and what might happen moving forward. And we'll look forward to catching up with you as the season continues to roll along. Thank you, Barry. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Always, Barry Sverluga from the Washington Post covering the Washington Commanders and much more than that. We've had him on on several other topics as well. We've got some other topics still to get to on the Sports Huddle this afternoon. Here's where we're going. These are this afternoon's top sports stories. I'm sure you'll be fascinated by all the uh, stories you have to tell. This is today's Drive Home Headlines. AJ hates it when I don't give him a real solid clue and cue to hitting the button, but he did a great job with it there. That one was probably about as offbeat as I could possibly get. Anyway, Drive Home Headlines brought to you by James River Air. If you're not happy with your heating and cooling system, call James River Air for a free in-home consultation. Uh, check them out online at jamesriverair.com. All right, we're going to give away another Yeti cooler probably here in the next 15 minutes or so. Maybe when we go to the break, uh, right before the bottom of the hour, we'll give away that second Yeti uh, cooler. Uh, for today, and then we'll do it again on Thursday as well. Bottom of the hour, we're going to talk some JMU football. I chatted with James Carpenter, their outstanding redshirt junior nose guard, who's had a couple of huge games in the big wins over UVA and uh, Troy. He's out of Roanoke, and he has a fascinating story to tell, actually, about his career at JMU and about playing UVA and going back out on the road again this week to Utah State. Uh, I really enjoyed catching up with him, and I think you will as well you'll hear that conversation at the bottom of the hour also a couple of his highlights courtesy of my guy dave riggert play-by-play voice of the james madison dukes to get us into that conversation so if you're a jmu fan uh keep it locked in right here and if you've got friends and other jmu fans tell them 5 30 on 1061 espn james carpenter of jmu football will be our guest 804-327-0888 keep that number handy if you want to talk with me or text to me or you want to win that Yeti cooler, keep it handy because that's coming before we leave the air this afternoon, a little before 6 o'clock. Break time for us at a quarter after 5 on the Sports Huddle, 1061 ESPN. The Braves have officially clinched a sixth straight NL East crown. Up next, the postseason. And we will have it here on your home for the Atlanta Braves. 1061 ESPN Richmond. Welcome back. Bob Black back with you. Sports Huddle 1061 ESPN. Uh, caught a couple things off of Twitter today that uh, I wanted to make sure that I got to. Matt and I got to the one on uh, the situation at UVA. They've lost a couple of players. Uh, one for most of the rest of the year with injury. Another red shirting who's likely not to come back. Uh, talk, definitely talked about that one. Uh, we were talking commanders with Barry's for Luga uh, at the beginning of the hour, and J.P. Finley uh, had a stat out there: seventeen and a half percent of commanders' defensive snaps end in negative yardage. Exactly what Barry was talking about: having sweat and um, pain and young. Um, 
rushing the passer and getting to, to running backs. That is the top figure, by the way, in the NFL right now. Highest percentage of defensive plays ending in negative yards belongs to the Washington Commanders. And, in fact, Dallas is second in that category, which is a little bit surprising. Although, when you got a guy like Micah Parsons, uh, maybe it's not as surprising as I thought. Uh, one of the other things that I saw goes back to college football. Actually, I had two things on the college front. Uh, one of them, and this has been several places, the ACC expansion of Cal, Stanford, and SMU and the concessions that those schools made in terms of what revenue they are and are not gaining out of this thing, primarily from the television contracts, and SMU basically taking zero TV dollars for, I think it's nine years, and everybody's like, how can they do that? Well, SMU, what's that? Oil. Exactly. SMU not only talked the talk, it walked the walk, because it said... SMU said, we'll, we'll make this work. We have the people that can make this work. And in seven days, they raised $100 million for SMU athletics. Not at all surprised. I told you guys. Yeah. I mean, they don't need the TV money. They're right about that. And again, you have to remember, they will still get the pieces of the pie, the financial pie from the NCAA basketball tournament and from the college football playoff, if there's an ACC team in it, you know, they are still getting that. They're just not getting the slice of the pie from the TV money, which is substantial. But when you can raise $100 million in seven days and the plan is to get to $200 million to offset over the span of nine years the ACC TV money, um, you know they're very happy. They're very excited to be in the ACC. I've actually been a believer in this. I, I keep surprising myself on the the kind of um, changes of the sports world that I'm actually okay with, like the Deion Sanders thing that I'm okay with. And, you know, everybody, the baseball thing, I was not. I was like, the, you know, the old man on the porch, get off my lawn with a lot of the baseball stuff. Uh, but I still enjoyed the baseball season. Uh, but in this case, I uh, the Stanford, Cal, and SMU thing to the ACC was out of necessity. The ACC had to do something. It could not stand pat. And I think it's going to work out okay for them. I think they're in the process of figuring out scheduling for not only football and basketball, but all of the other sports. And I think you're going to see some unique opportunities in terms of scheduling, particularly when it comes to Olympic sports competition. And as I said, even back when this first happened, this is going to be more of a hardship for Cal, Stanford, and SMU than it's going to be for the rest of the conference. The rest of the conference is going to have to do this once or twice a conference schedule season. It's kind of like JMU going to Troy last week and to Utah State this week. They're doing it, so why won't these teams be able to do it? They will be able to do it, and they won't be doing it every week. I think sometimes we get caught in up in, oh, my gosh, they got to fly to Stanford and Cal. Like they're doing it 11 straight weeks. They're not. At the most, they're going to play five or six away games, and only one, maybe two of those, will be to those destinations. So um, that's what I, mean. I just think it made sense for the ACC. The ACC is going to be fine in this thing. They, they did enough to at least stay in the conversation and maybe close the gap a little bit with the SEC and the Big Ten. And even if they don't, at least they've made the effort 
to do it, and they've solidified themselves in terms of dollars and in terms of number of teams um, in, in which they have in their conference. Here's the last thing, real quick. Uh, I definitely want to get into this more as we move along in the week, and maybe with Russ Usman on Behind the Web on Thursday. Uh, you know, he was not happy with some of the chippiness in Richmond's game on Saturday, non-conference game against Delaware State. Had some penalties, had some uh, late hit penalties, unsportsmanlike conduct, personal foul things. I don't think it was all the spider player's fault, to be honest with you. I, I think in some cases Delaware State instigated it and the spiders protected their own. I, I know the coach is still not happy about it. You can't have 15-yard penalties all over the place. I get that, and it won't happen again. I'm sure of that as well. But apparently it also happened at William & Mary. Their game against Charleston Southern, uh, tempers started to flare there, and the tribe actually had a couple guys kicked out of that game, which that you really would hold your breath. It did not come to that in the Richmond game. And Mike London this week said there will not be suspensions for the guys that got kicked out of that game, that they'll be eligible to play this week. I think they play Maine at Zabel Stadium this week. So the Richmond one didn't get that far. The William & Mary one, a couple guys did get thrown out, but that's it. They'll be back, and they'll be on their P's and Q's. They'll mind their their manners moving forward. Virginia I, I football, that. Bob. That's what I want to see. Virginia football. Right, right. Protect your own. Be a guy. Right. I'm, you know, I don't want it to get out of hand. Don't get me wrong, but I, I mean, I say this kiddingly. I say off the record because obviously we are on the record right now because we're on the air. But I'm not wearing my spider cap. But I didn't blame the spiders for what they did Saturday. I know Russ Usman didn't like it. But, like, his best player, his leader for five years, Tristan Wheeler, the linebacker, he took matters into his own hands. He thought there was a cheap shot against one of his guys um, that, I, that did get called for a penalty, but he literally picked up the quarterback and threw him out of bounds when he had a chance. And, and he got a 15-yard penalty for it. And as my partner Chris Anderson said on the, on the live video stream, a.k.a. telecast, nobody on the Richmond sideline appeared too upset with Tristan Wheeler for what he did. Maybe Russ Huseman was because that's what a head coach is supposed to do. But I think the players were, were pretty pleased that their leader, their captain, stood up for their guy. I'm that, pretty that's shocked. I'm, I'm pretty, pretty shocked, shocked and pulled. I just I can't believe he did that. I'm just <laughs> I am not a fan of defense and, and tough play and uh, I can't wait to meet this young man on Saturday. Now you're talking like the Virginia gentleman that you're not. Oh, exactly. By the Good job, guys. Where to get it? I want to see that next week. And we said that on the air, too, so I'm saying it again. Like, he did what he had to do for his locker room in a game that was already out of hand. They, it didn't cost them 15 yards, a touchdown, and a loss. That wasn't happening. It cost them 15 yards, and that was about it. And then there was another one that I know Chris and I, you know, we see these games through our red and blue glasses. I get it. But I've watched the replay like 10 times, and I have no idea why um, Marlon Lewis got called for a roughing the passer penalty on the quarterback of Delaware State. I mean, I just don't. Other than the fact his helmet came off, but, hey, that's his fault. His chin strap was too loose, I guess. I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> it's not going to happen again. The coach was not happy. He wasn't happy in general with the defensive performance, even though they only gave up six points. Um, and he went on about that this week on the on the CAA conference call. So they'll be even better this week. I truly believe that. And remember, uh, I'm sticking with my stand here. They dominate in that game, and they're going to win the next three. 
So it starts this weekend at Stony Brook for the Spiders. Fun. Anyway, keep an eye on William and Mary in Richmond because both of them had some tempers flaring last week. Both of them are in CAA competition this weekend. I don't think you'll see anything along those lines. The try play Maine at Sable Stadium. The Spiders are at Stony Brook. James Madison is hitting the road for the third straight week, their longest trip of the three to Utah State, but they're taking with them wins over Virginia and Troy in their last two games. When we come back, we'll talk with one of the guys who was instrumental in those victories, Redshirt Junior nose guard James Carpenter, joins us next on the Sports Hour. Baseball on your radio dial? There's a reason to keep it locked to 1061 ESPN Richmond. Your home for the Atlanta Braves and the River City. Watson looks to the left side. He'll step up, get hit, sacked back by James Carpenter at the 43-yard line. J.C. just beat the guard and center, got to the quarterback, Gunnar Watson. Third down in less than a yard. Just outside the 40-yard line of their own territory. The Who's move left to right. They send a tight end in motion. That's Mish. Here's a hand up. Hit the backfield by James Carpenter and blown up for a loss of four yards. Back to the 36-yard line. J.C. with the TFL to make the Who's punt the football couple of great calls and a couple of great James Madison wins by Dave Rickert, the voice of the James Madison Dukes on the JMU radio network. And right in the middle of all of that was the guy he was talking about, J.C., James Carpenter, the redshirt junior out of Roanoke at the nose guard spot, came up huge in the UVA game two weeks ago, had a, a pass deflection that pretty much sealed it for James Madison. And then last week against Troy, he had a quarterback sack, was in the middle of it all when they stopped Troy in the last couple of drives at the end of the game when a field goal could have won it. He is having an outstanding year. He had a great season last year, was all Sunday belt in the Duke's first year in the Sun Belt and he's back at it again this season and we had the opportunity today to catch up with James Carpenter the red shirt junior out of Roanoke on a variety of topics and I, like I said earlier I really learned about uh, James Carpenter as we talked and he filled us in on a lot of different things so we will let you hear that interview now um, and I'll tell you what as I do that let me do this as well I said I was going to challenge you all a little bit here on this other Yeti cooler that we're going to give away. As you listen to this interview that we recorded earlier this afternoon, here's a trivia question for you. You get it right, you win the Yeti cooler. Advantage JMU fans, I admit it. But they are heading to Utah State this weekend. Utah State, it is the second time they have played a game in the state of Utah. Who was the opponent the first time they played a game? in the state of Utah. 804-327-0888. If you know the answer, you win the Yeti. Here's our conversation with JMU Redshirt Junior Nose Guard, James Carpenter. I started out by asking him if he could just describe what the last two weeks have been like against UVA and Troy. Yeah, it's uh it's been it's been a crazy couple of weeks. Um you know, obviously UVA was pretty emotional for a lot of a lot of different reasons. Um you know roller coaster of a game but we, we kind of found, found a way to pull it out and you know we kind of knew going into these this season we, we got a tough uh tough beginning of schedule um and yeah i mean these past two weeks have been kind of you know uva was a bit of a shootout you know troy was a, a bit of a grinder so uh you know kind of shows we can win in multiple ways and yeah it's, it's been a while two weeks hey um 
Give us a little more of the experience of the UVA game, everything that went into it, mm-hmm. and then your tremendous performance. Won your defensive player of the week honor to have the tackles for loss and then and then the key knockdown knockdown of the pass there on that final drive. Yeah. Um yeah, it was, you know, obviously, you know, going for UVA is a big game for us, you know, in state rivalry. Um you know, they're uh they're top tier program in, you know, every aspect. So uh, you know, it was uh we kind of had that circle on our schedule for a while um you know a lot of us kind of had a chip on our shoulder going in that game too um and obviously the emotional aspect of everything kind of surrounding it um so yeah there, there was a lot going on that week um but we just try to keep our you know keep keep our focus on, on the main thing which was the game and you know kind of doing what we got to do um and yeah you know just kind of trusting the coach's schemes and um just kind of trust, trust in the plan that they give us, and yeah, it was a, uh, it was an emotional week, uh, a lot of stuff going on, but we, you know, Coach Nia does a great job of kind of, you know, keep, keep keeping uh, keeping the main thing the main thing, as he likes to say. So, uh, James, off of what you said, it kind of begs the question. I mean, you're from Roanoke, great career at Roanoke Catholic. Were you recruited by UVA? No, nah, I uh, I wasn't. I mean, I went to uh, <laughs> I went I went to I went to their camp. You know, I was. Yeah, you know, I kind of sit in the pile, you know, first game interview after the game. I was a diehard UVA fan growing up, so uh, you know that was kind of my dream school. Um, kind of, kind of growing up as a kid, I've been to Scott Stadium and you know, John Paul Jones Arena, you know, countless times. Um, so yeah, I, you know, I was never recruited by them, which, which kind of sucked and it hurt, but you know, I, I think it worked out for the best. <laughs> I'll say it. you got the last laugh. I guess I, I, can, <laughs> yeah, I can exactly. Say. Were there other guys exactly. in your locker room, kind of in a, in a similar situation? Was there some talk amongst you guys uh, about that? That you know, because yeah. you go back to the days when you were in FCS school before you made the jump, and I'm sure a lot of your teammates the same way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we, you know, obviously, you know, coming out of high school, we, you know, we all want to get a, you know, these Power Five programs. We we're all kind of going to, you know, go to the best school, the biggest school as possible, but. Um, you know, we, you know, you know, guys on this team, we, we kind of knew what was going on. We all kind of had that chip on our shoulder, which uh, definitely gave us a little more motivation. You know, some guys not being recruited by them, and you know, some of them not giving us scholarships or, or anything like that. So, um, you know, we, you know, it, it sucked at the time in high school, obviously, but um, we kind of like to use that as a as a chip on our shoulder for, for the game. Uh, then on to Troy, and maybe there was a different chip on your shoulder here. To no fault of Troy's, obviously, the rules just stated that you guys couldn't play for a conference championship. You couldn't go to the bowl game, and Troy did. They wound up winning winning that title, and here you have this opportunity to present it to you last week on the road where virtually nobody ever wins at Troy. Just take us through kind of the, the end of the game, the last maybe three drives that Troy has and how close they came to scoring and what you guys had to do defensively to stop them. Yeah. Um, we kind of, they kind of came out a little different, differently than we expected. Um, they were, they were throwing the ball, you know, a lot, they had a lot of passing attempts. So, um, you know, we kind of knew our offense was in a bit of a wall there. So, you know, we, we kind of put that pressure on us. Um, we kind of knew we had to do you know, if you know we were up. So if we just stop them, you know, we'll win the game. Um, yeah, the last couple of drives were, you know, we stopped them in that, that final one. Um, they they kind of got down there, but we kind of there was that intentional grounding, which definitely helped us out. Um, obviously, but uh, yeah, we you know we we were up in the game, and you know our offense did enough. So we we uh, we kind of we kind of took that pressure on our sh- pressure on our shoulders, and um, they didn't score the one. We kind of took that on us. As a defense. 
What was kind of the, the emotion amongst you guys? You mentioned that intentional grounding. If that call isn't made, that's a marginal field goal, right? It's probably about a 50-yarder. It's certainly no gimme, but they're going to take a shot to win the game, and then the intentional grounding obviously took them out of field goal range, right? Yeah, I mean, the uh, they, they, were, they were getting close to, you know, reasonable field goal range. They're probably already in it. Um, I don't know what, exactly what or how, how, how long it would have been, but we know <clears throat> we knew uh, – you know, the kicker could have made it, um, obviously. So, you know, that, that play the intentional grinding, we, you know, try to dot something up, try to back them up a little bit, you know, get a, get a loss, a sack or something like that. Um, and we, we got back there, we, we kind of pressured them and kind of forced them to that, that intentional grounding. So, um, you know, it was, uh, you know, obviously we kind of have luck on our side there. Um, but, uh, you know, it is what it is, and we got the win, so that's all that matters. <laughs> Absolutely. Catching up with James Carpenter of the James Madison Dukes. Um, the one number that obviously jumps out, you mentioned they, they threw the ball more than maybe you thought they would. I think that's kind of a tip of their cap to what you guys do defensively against the run. And that number sticks out, James. I mean, minus 12 yards rushing. I know they still had 20 attempts on the ground, I think somewhere around there, 19 or 20. What kind of feeling do you guys have when you can keep a quality team like that, to my, any team really, to minus 12 yards on the ground? Yeah. Um, you know, as you know, here at JMU, we kind of, you know, we kind of, we kind of pride ourselves to stop the run. That's kind of, you know, we, we come in on Mondays, um, and Coach Haynes puts up our goals. And, you know, one of the first things is, you know, rushing yards. Um, you know, so we, we pride ourselves as a defense on, on stopping the run. Um, and we, we knew going this game, you know, they're, they're you know, excellent running back. Um, so we knew that, you know, if we kind of stopped him, it would, it would uh, kind of put them in a little bit of a you know, pressure situation, um, kind of put the ball in the quarterback's hands and, quarterback's hands and uh, you know, let us to the D-line, kind of, kind of go, go rush the passer. So, um, yeah, yeah, like I said, we, we knew we were, they were going to try to run the ball at first, but, uh, yeah, we, we knew that was their game plan, and we, we kind of stopped it at first and kind of stopped it early and kind of allowed us as a, you know, as a defensive line to kind of, kind of go eat. Yeah, certainly, certainly set the tone with that performance, uh, no doubt about that. So, so back to back wins like that on the road. If ever there was a team that deserved a home game, after those two, it would be <laughs> you guys, and that's not going to happen. In fact, the furthest thing, almost literally the furthest thing you could have, is a trip to Utah State. How are you guys yeah. managing? This week, as you go for your third consecutive away game, I realize Charlottesville wasn't very long, but as you said, very emotional. And then Troy, yeah. and I know you guys have crisscrossed the country before, but going all the way out there to Utah State this weekend. Yeah, um, it's you know, it, it's a long trip, obviously, but uh, you know, it, it is what it is. It's, it's the it's the next game on our schedule, so uh, yeah, we're just gonna have a, have a normal week. Um, you know, nothing too different. Obviously, you know, we'll leave Friday, but. Uh, yeah, in terms of that, you know, just gonna be, gonna be a normal week. You know, attack, attack it the same as we do every other week. Um, it's kind of, you know, yeah, it's it's a long trip for us, but uh, you know, it's the next next game on our schedule, so yeah, you know, there's nothing really we can really do about it. Um, yeah, just you know, we're attack, attack it as a normal week and you know, game plan like we do every other week, and uh, you know, play out there Friday and you know, play Saturday. So it's, for us, it's you know. Nothing new, just just a little bit of a longer trip for us, obviously. So yeah, <laughs> and, and as I said, you've done this before. You've been around long enough. You have been out west before. You've been down, uh, you know. I think Sam Houston. All do, do you do you enjoy trips like that, or are they just another trip? I realize you guys are probably plane, bus, hotel, bus, stadium, bus, airplane, home. But do you mm-hmm. do you take in any of it at all when you make a trip like that? Yeah, I mean. For most of us, it's definitely like the furthest we'll, we'll be out west. Um, it's you know going to Utah to 
very scenic, you know, pretty, you know, fine in. It's it's, it's really beautiful. So, um, you know, in terms of that, you know, as we'll try and take it in as much as we can. Obviously, we don't have many opportunities, but, um, you know, playing right in, kind of driving around, uh, kind of going from the airport to the to the uh, hotel, you know, kind of check out the views. I'm, you know, it's going to be really pretty, I'm sure. So, um, you know, in terms of that, it'll, it'll be pretty cool. And uh, definitely, definitely take that part in. Hey, James, a couple final questions for you. Uh, we'll wrap this up. I want to go all the way back to your to your high school career for a moment. I mean, you played mm-hmm. a myriad of sports, right? I mean, football, basketball, yes, across, track. Was, was there ever any doubt um, which sport you were going to choose to play in college? And how did, how did that kind of help you that you played so many different sports? Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> growing up, I definitely wanted to be, be a basketball player. I didn't start playing football until, I think, eighth grade, seventh, eighth grade. Um, you know, I was, you know, basketball all day every day when i was growing up so uh you know i think i got one after sixth or seventh grade i was a little bit bigger and kind of kind of realized i, I didn't have that at me anymore in terms of going to the next level but uh yeah i think playing all those different sports kind of helped me out in terms of you know basketball you know, a lot of, you know quickness agility and stuff like that and then track and field and you know even though i was doing shot put you're still you know running every day and kind of getting the conditioning up um so yeah i think i think all those sports definitely played a pretty big big effect for me um you know, in terms of just, you know, agility, just kind of, kind of, kind of have a different skill sets and stuff like that. Um, moving around, kind of be able to be able to move better, better than I, you know, most people can. So I feel like, uh, it definitely helped me in the long run. It, it, was, it was fun in high school and, uh, yeah, it, it definitely helped me out here. Probably a lesson to be learned for all youngsters coming up through high school is to diversify and try to play certainly more mm-hmm. than one sport. Hey, la- last one for you. If you could think back to 2018 and, and we had a conversation and said, hey, by the end of your collegiate career, you're going to be at the FBS level, you're going to be in a conference, the Sun Belt, and you're you know, you're going to be doing what you're doing now. What would you have thought of that when you first decided to go to James Madison, which was a power, <laughs> but a power at the FCS level? Yeah, um, I, I would. I would just. I would. I wouldn't have believed you. I would have said you're crazy, and yeah, you know, all that type of stuff. Um, you know, I when when Kachins kind of gave me the walk-on spot, I was, I was, you know, about as happy happy as I could be, and uh, I, I never thought, I never thought it would uh, return to this. So, um, yeah, I'm blessed. I'm very fortunate. Um, I'm very appreciative of everything. You know, Coach Ignetti and Coach Haynes and all of them have have done for me. Um, you know, credit the credit goes you know to them for it. So. Uh, yeah, I'm just, uh, it's crazy that, it's, you know, it's been, you know, a wild ride, but we still have some work to do, and uh, I'm just very fortunate and, you know, very blessed, so. Absolutely. Well said. Well, congratulations on the success for you and the Dukes to this point, and keep it rolling the rest of the year, and hopefully we'll get a chance to catch up as the season unfolds. James, thanks again for chatting with us. Yeah, thank you, guys. Have a good one. James Carpenter, JC, as you heard him called on the play-by-play highlights prior to our conversation with him. I love interviews like that and that's kind of why we love doing these interviews you learn so much about these guys like i can dig and i can research and i can find out you know he played at roanoke catholic and he played four sports and he was on the all sunbelt team last year that kind of thing but the stuff that he added like he grew up a virginia fan and he spent his childhood in scott stadium and jpj and would have loved to have gone to virginia uh, but they didn't really sniff him out of out of high school. And the fact that he was a preferred walk-on at JMU back when they were an FCS team. So what if JMU had been an FBS team? Would they have recruited him then? You know, they're obviously going after a higher caliber, higher level 
of athlete at this point. I just think it's fascinating and that he's put in the time and the effort and the work to make himself into a, a heck of an FBS Division One uh, college football player. So really some fascinating stuff there. All right. I think I challenged you all a little bit here because A.J. said it took a while, but we finally got a winner to my trivia question to give away the Yeti, courtesy of our friends at Green Top Sporting Goods up there in Ashland. And I, I asked a question that certainly favored JMU fans. The Dukes are headed to Utah State this Saturday, first ever meeting against the Aggies of Utah State, uh, first time they've ever played a team from the Mountain West Conference as well, and just the second time they have played in the state of Utah and the second uh, team from Utah that they played. So I asked you, who was the other team from Utah? Now, you didn't have too many choices. I looked this up, actually. There are only six uh, Division One college football teams in the state of Utah. University of Utah, Utah State, Weber State, Brigham Young, Southern Utah, and Utah Tech, which I must admit I'm not very familiar with, but it's an F. FCS program in St. George, Utah. So out of those six, and obviously even Utah State could have been in the equation, although I just told you this is the first time they've played them. So they're out. So it had to be one of the other five. And it was Weber State. And Charles knew the answer, so he gets the Yeti uh, cooler from Green Top uh, Sporting Goods. Yeah, they played Weber State, beat them 37-24 in Ogden, Utah on September 18th, 2021. So two years later, almost to the day, they're going back to Utah and they'll play Utah State this Saturday. All right, we'll wrap it up for you in just a moment. Sports Huddle for the 19th of September continues and concludes after this on 106.1 ESPN. As I mentioned earlier, I'll be with the Spiders this weekend, so no show on Friday. Uh, tomorrow, I am out doing some traveling. I'll tell you a little bit more about that when I get back. Um, and hopefully, there'll be something out of that with some good content that you'll hear here on the Sports Huddle. But I'll just leave it at that for now. Matt is TBA tomorrow because the Braves game is at 1235. Um, so be listening for the Braves game in the afternoon. And then hopefully, Matt will follow that up tomorrow and then back on thursday sean robertson feel good thursday from cbs6 and we got several guests lined up for you on thursday as well tonight you get braves baseball uh 720 home against the phillies spencer strider goes i think this must be his league leading 18th win if he gets it tonight he is 17 and 5 uh christopher sanchez starts for philadelphia 705 airtime here on 1061 ESPN. Enjoyed it today. Hope you did as well. Matt Josephs hung around in the 4 o'clock hour. We kind of did our mashup show from 4 until 5. Barry Sverluga from the Washington Post talking some commanders football. And then James Carpenter, uh, nose guard, defensive lineman of the JMU Dukes at the bottom of the hour. AJ, great job. Did a lot of juggling the balls in the air today. Uh, take a deep breath and, and relax. And I'll catch up with you on Thursday uh, with the Sports Auto at 4 o'clock right here on 1061. ESPN. My brother-in-law died suddenly. 